backroom politics. Good afternoon. And good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. This is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, she is the former attorney for the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016 in the great state of Ohio. She is a bar certified lawyer in the or bar licensed lawyer in the great state of New York and the Garden State of New Jersey. She's the one that we know as Sharmila Achari. Sharmila, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Doing fine. And joining us from the Commonwealth of Virginia, the National Capital Region, he is the man that is the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Affairs, serving at last count under four presidents. Longtime Senate staffer, longtime Washington insider. He's the man that we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Alan, good afternoon. Good afternoon. And so... You know, I was just wanted to start off. Let's start off with a big story coming out of Florida. So last week, the Florida legislature uh, passed a bill and sent it to the governor. That might end daylight. What am I talking about? We have so much to get to. We have special elections in Pennsylvania 18 that's got everybody's attention. We have a serial bomber in Austin, Texas. We still have fallouts from uh, the Russian investigation, from the uh, security clearance issues. We have... President Trump's body man now being escorted off the White House property because of possible serious financial crimes, according to several law We've got so much to talk about, but we obviously are going to start with the big breaking story this afternoon, or that happened this morning. Uh, around 9 o'clock, it was uh, announced, it was reported by NBC News and The Washington Post that, in fact, President Trump has fired sitting Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. Rex Tillerson is now the outgoing Secretary of State. Uh, this announcement was reported by, again, NBC and Washington Post somewhere about five minutes till nine this morning. About 9.44 this morning, just a scant 45 minutes after the reporting began, Donald Trump confirmed the firing with a tweet because that's what President Trump does. According to seniors officials, this is apparently something, and according to Donald Trump himself, this is something that they've been working on, quote-unquote, for a while. But apparently, according to sources inside the State Department and several media outlets are reporting, that, in fact, Secretary Tillerson found out about this from the tweet that he was on his way back from a scheduled trip to Africa that he had cut short because he was not feeling well, apparently. But the word is is that he found out, according to the according to several media reports, from the tweet that the president put out, which kind of took Rex Tillerson and much of the senior staff there at the State Department by storm. Uh, the uh, secretary, the under the the secretary statement uh, put out by uh, the uh, the assistant secretary of state who has since been fired uh dan goldstein uh mr goldstein said that uh basically uh the exit was not a voluntary one uh that he is grateful for the opportunity to serve and the president and and that basically secretary tillerson was unaware of why or given any reason why to the firing. So this has caused a lot of shakeup in Washington and globally at a very tense time for international affairs all over the country. This is 
big, big news. Uh, Alan Moore, let's start with you. You being the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Affairs, very familiar with the geopolitical uh, diplomacy that's involved in this. Number one, how, how big a deal is this, not so much for the U.S., but in the global community as a whole? Well, <laughs> normally this is a pretty big deal. Uh, the problem in this case for, for Secretary Tillerson is that this move has been rumored for months, um, ever since he gave his non-denial denial to questions about whether he uh, had, in fact, uh, privately called the president a moron uh, after one, uh, one meeting that uh, – uh, that, the sec- that the secretary uh, attended uh, were some uh, delicate, uh, nuanced international relations issues were discussed. Um, the two men have not been close. Um, uh, it was uh, it was painfully obvious that uh, that that Secretary Tillerson was in a, lar- a very large group of people who knew nothing about the uh, the North Korea initiative. Um, uh, this is the way this president often uh, operates, but when it's a big deal internationally, it's particularly embarrassing um, and awkward if you are the Secretary of State and uh, and you're caught uh, by surprise. So the, Tillerson was not – he didn't get high marks in the department. It's so interesting to reflect on him. There was controversy when he was named, and a lot of people said, oh, my God, an oil guy, we don't want that. And then people began to reflect on it and say, well, he's better, he's of a higher quality or higher caliber than a lot of the people in the new administration. Uh, and then he started not doing things at the State Department that people would expect uh, a seasoned executive to do, uh, bring, get, fill in the spots, utilize staff. He, he developed a small clique around him. There are numerous openings all over the department. Uh, he turned out to, to not be that, uh, that great a manager in terms of the department. Um, Alan, let me just jump in uh, real quick, Alan, if I can. Let, yeah, let me just jump sure, in and, and sure. touch on that for a second. Because one of the questions that everybody's asking is, was that a matter of just bad management at Foggy Bottom for uh, Rex Tillerson? Or was, in fact, Rex Tillerson's hands tied as far as maybe managing – State Department the way he wanted to. Well, there were. You may remember very early on, uh, he wanted to bring a Deputy Secretary of State in, a person who had said some negative things about the president. And uh, early on, the White House said, "No, not, not, not that guy, or not other people who've been um, publicly negative towards the president." And you may remember during the, the Never Trump. Uh, heyday movement. There were a lot of people with foreign policy experience who said it, the, that they would never support Trump and would never work for Trump. And then when he was elected, suddenly uh, there was a a lot of foreign policy hands were were begging people of experience to be willing to serve. Um, some of them were willing to serve, but then they got washed out in the clearance process. And and Tillerson, instead of fighting that. Uh, apparently uh, decided, well, I'm not going to take some of the guys they're trying to foist on me. We'll figure out how to live without them. Um, and and it was horrible. That was uh, horrible for morale inside the department. Horrible right. for effectiveness. Horrible for right. inc- uh, having 
influence in uh, in Washington and in embassies all over the world. There are untold embassy spots open. There are a lot of very senior spots in the department that are open. Um, it, it's not been a great reign for for Rex Tillerson. So it's and it's and and the rest of the world right. knows that he was a weakened person without a close relationship to the president. So. It it, it it a lot of the questions. So who's next? And of course, Mike Pompeo, the head of the CIA, who's quite close to the president, um, and who's right. probably one of the few people who did know something about what was happening with North Korea, is going to be right. is the designated person to and, to replace him. And we'll get to that. We're going to get to that. Charlotte, let me ask this question. Obviously, this has come as a big shock to everybody around. Washington, in particular, those in the leadership at Foggy Bottom. But the question now comes up is, what does this do for our credibility in the international community? I mean, if if we can't even get our own administration together and keep it in sync, does that send a bad message to leaders around the world that are saying, why am I talking to these guys? I'm going to get a... I mean, with Tillerson, the, the biggest complaint was that he would go in front of these world leaders and everybody would look at him and go, this guy is definitely not talking to Donald Trump. Is, is it good that this has happened and that Pompeo, who is, uh, Alan pointed out, a very close ally of the president, is this a good thing for international relations for the U.S.? So I would actually dispute your characteristic, although you are in D.C., I'm not that uh, people are surprised. You know, I have uh, two very close friends at the State Department, and we've been talking for months about when Brexit is going to happen. So I think that the staff Did you down just there call it Brexit? In Foggy Bottom. Did, did I did call, call it Brexit. <laughs> I did. Okay. He, he, I can't believe as, you've never heard that as, before. He's known as T-Rex in the department. Go ahead. <laughs> There you go, T-Rex. I knew about T-Rex. I knew about T-Rex, but I did not know about Rexit. That's hysterical. Okay, keep going. Sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> but anyway, so this, I think that it's always been for, you know, a lot of career employees there, it's always been a question of when, not if. You know, they saw his efficacy and legitimacy challenged months and months ago. So I, I don't know how big – I think the suddenness of it came as a shock, but I don't think the fact of his – that, you know, that President Trump had soured on him and that he was not long for Foggy Bottom was too much of a surprise to anyone. I think that with regards to your other questions, this is a – I think it's a mixed blessing. You're absolutely right that for a long time, I think international leaders knew that talking to Rex Tillerson was not especially effective because – he did not necessarily speak for the U.S. government, and he certainly did not speak for President Trump. You, know, you saw on several occasions when President Trump in tweets would publicly undercut you know, negotiations that Tillerson had been working on for weeks and months. So I think that the, you know, the notion that um, the U.S. had any credibility during Rex Tillerson's era is a little optimistic, to be, to be generous. Um, and the potential of Pompeo coming in and replacing Tillerson and having a closer relationship with the president is, I think, promising. But I think, as you've seen with the president and those who are close to him, being close to the president is not a permanent state of affairs. Once, these, once the officials under him 
start to assert their independence and their sort of and bring their own policy ideology and agenda into the mix, the president can turn on them very quickly. So I think that the U.S. whatever credibility Mike Pompeo brings in is somewhat limited because it really depends on how long the president continues to take a shine to him. And I think part of the reason that the president and Pompeo have a good relationship right now is because they see, they see each other daily. Mike Pompeo gives the president his daily intelligence briefings. I think that as Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo is going to be traveling a lot more. He's going to be doing a lot more independent events, and that gives him the ability to build up a public profile, which he doesn't have now. And what we know about Donald Trump is that he hates anyone who still steals the spotlight from himself. And we've got a couple of callers. And I we've got a couple of callers. We got a couple of callers on hold that want to ask questions, but I, I do want to go back to uh, Alan Moore. Alan Moore, uh, Charlotte brings up a really good point as far as uh, you know the the issue of uh, you know he is very much in lockstep and has a very close relationship with Donald Trump. Is there fear that? the relationship is too close that there's not going to be any independent thinking with Mike Pompeo as far as making game day calls on, on certain crises that might happen inside and that he just doesn't have the experience in foreign affairs to deal with some of those complicated geopolitical problems. I, I don't, I mean, I think that, that, that if people were, were comparing Pompeo with Tillerson uh, at the, at the get go, they would say, Pompeo had a lot more relevant experience. He was a member of Congress. He had some sense of the political process. He knew who the players were around Washington, D.C., and he's been working in, the, in, in government and related fields. Um, and then since then, of course, for the last year plus, he's, been, he's run the CIA. He has figured out, as, as Sharmila pointed out, uh, well, he's had a lot of contact with the president. He's also figured out how to keep the president happy with him that's no small <laughs> task very few people have been able to figure out how to how to have lingering ongoing uh support and respect from this right. president those are all good things um right. and and it's rare that this president think i'm trying to think of anybody else who he didn't know before he became president who has increased in stature um, with the president. It's the ones who've kept their heads down. Um, yeah. And you, th- you assume they've increased their stature. At least they haven't become the target. Um, right. Uh, an- another one who's done that is, uh, is Bob Lighthizer, who's the U.S. trade yeah. representative, who's spent a lot of time with him and has kind of figured out how to talk to him, too, and has – has has some respect right. from him. So I, me, I think Pompeo well, has, I got, think Alan, has, got a, has got a good start. Okay, real quickly, Sharma, and then I want to get to the callers. Sure. I think Alan just proved my point a little bit because someone who did keep his head down and had a good relationship with the president before was John Kelly. But as the president promoted him and moved into a much higher profile position, you've seen that their relationship has become increasingly strained. Right. So I think, yeah. again, the question is that you can have a great relationship with Donald Trump when you work for him and when you are, you know, very much subservient or subordinate to him and when it's obvious you're subordinate to him and when you don't take up a lot of public space. But the secretary right. of state, the nature of the role, is a much higher profile and CIA director, and I think that once Pompeo starts right. getting attention, whether positive or negative, that's going to that's going to taint the relationship with with President Trump. 
Right. Let's go to callers real quick on the switchboard from the 281 area code. You're on with Backroom Politics. What's your question? Uh, I'd like to ask if uh, do you think uh, with Rex Tillerson resigning that this uh, show further that the White House is in chaos? Charlie, Charlie, I'll start with you. Is, is in fact that the White House is in chaos, or is this a, just a calculated maneuver to clean uh, clean house inside the administration? I have a follow. I think, well, I think it's a little bit of both, right? I think it shows you that how diminished John Kelly's position has been, right? John Kelly again was brought in to bring order to a chaotic situation, and the fact that the president just sacked his highest level ranking, the highest ranking cabinet member, in a tweet. Without, with the White House had no talking points about it, and there was no process around it. Rex Tillerson allegedly was not even notified that this was coming until he saw the tweet. I mean, that shows you that John Kelly has lost a lot of his power over the president and a lot of his power over the process. So in terms of chaos, I think that you have it there. But I think that Justin is right that you know, the pre- you've seen a lot of news reports that the president wants a clean reset. There's obviously people in his administration who he's been gunning for for a while, but didn't want to fire because of the optics. And now he feels released from that pressure. He feels like he doesn't have to worry about optics anymore, or he feels that he's gained sort of the knowledge of the position and is comfortable enough in his position now that he can start really doing what he wants. And caller, you had a follow-up question. Yes, here. Uh, Appreciate the call, caller. And let's go to the 832 area code. <laughs> what was that? Or do I even the, want to I know? I believe it was the beginning of the Soviet national anthem or the Russian national anthem. 832 <laughs> area code, you're on with backroom politics. What's wait, wait, hang on. But, but, but let, me, let me just add a comment on the, on the first question. Okay. It, it just it just the, the notion of, of chaos. I don't think this is a measure of higher chaos, as, as both Charmla and I have said. This has been coming for months, and right. the fact that it was done done in a in a no class uh, tweeting way is a sad commentary on how they do things and how they operate. But it's nothing new. And that and that may be true. That 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 very much could be true. Uh, Eight three two area code. You're on with backroom politics. What's your question? Uh, uh, I I heard from the uh, last caller about uh, uh, Rex Tillerson, John Kelly. Now that Rex Tillerson is out, do you think that John Kelly will be out on his way soon? Very good question. Thanks for the call. Sharma, uh, what, what do you think? You think this this is the beginning of the end for some of the adults in the room as far as John Kelly goes? I think it could be. I think the caller raises a really good point. You know, as I just mentioned, it seems like Kelly's power and ability to reign in the president is significantly diminished. Right. Jared Kushner, even though he's had his security clearance revoked, is still apparently working on all his high profile projects and still having high profile meetings. And so I think that, you know, for all the talk that Kelly was able to rein in the family and to rein in the crazies, it sort of seems like now, again, now that the president feels more comfortable in the office and feels that, you know, I think the, the sort of the fact that the stock market didn't completely tank upon the announcement of tariffs and that it was well received in some quarters, I think that gave the president a big boost of confidence 
that was something he really conceived of and implemented on his own. And I think that's giving him the confidence to be able to let go of some of these people who are instinctively, and, you know, again, for the good of the nation, trying to rein him in, trying to control his immaturity and his sort of, as Alan said, low-class impulses. So I I kind of agree with the caller. I, I, I think this could be sort of the signal, the beginning of the end for General Kelly. Alan Moore? Well, no one will. Wow. <laughs> fortunately, no one ever remembers what we say on this show. But <laughs> about a month ago, after after Kelly had a particularly bad stretch of personal appearances, of comments that that, that put him crossways with the president, um, uh, some examples of him showing his own lack of political smarts and sensitivities, I gave him three months. So using that timetable, uh, he's, win. Uh, he's got two, he's got, he's on the outside. He's got two months, you know, you that, that these predictions, this predicting game is kind of crazy, but, but he's been walking on, on thinner ice and showing uh, again, that for all of the strengths that he's had as a military leader, um, he was really short on the politics side and made a mistake after mistake um, having said that, where do you find a new guy? Who do you, who would you place him with? But it's not so much, it's not just that the president might uh, want to replace him, but like, like Gary Cohn, uh, who got frustrated and finally just left, um, John Kelly could, could make a similar decision. It's one thing to say, Hey, um, we soldiers, uh, uh, don't ne- never never abandon uh, uh, the chief, but sometimes, in fact, they do. They can they can be driven off and and uh, uh, for one of several any of several reasons. So that's a possibility too. Um, I don't I think, think Alan so he, his his problems his problems I think started not 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 right now, but but a good while back as well. So. It's it's just that as these people with experience um, and credentials leave, who do you replace them with? Uh, and that is a really frightening uh, challenge for this administration. So and I think go ahead, Alan Chairman. hits on a good point there. Right. I, I think I think Alan hits on a good point there. And I was going to mention this earlier is that the lesson of you know Brexit, the lesson of Gary Cohen leaving, of Sean Spicer, of Reince Priebus, is that. You know, top people now see that you work for this administration at your own peril. You work at the peril of your professional reputation and the peril of your integrity and the peril of your dignity, right? President Trump claims that he manages to recruit the best people, but it's painfully obvious that he does not treat them well once they're there. And so you saw this, you know, when Mike Flynn was fired, they originally wanted, before uh, General McMaster, they wanted General Harvard. And he said no, because he saw what his life could be like working for President Trump. And I think that, you know, the more senior people, the more qualified people he drives away, top talent, because it's not just, because I think for them now, the, the uh, privilege of working for the U.S. government and sort of the... Um, prestige of having these high positions is outweighed by working for an incredibly mercurial and temperamental boss and having your name dragged through the mud day in and day out and not knowing whether that's going to happen from your own boss, whether he's the one who's going to be the one, the one who throws you under the bus. And that's true. And, and, and Alan Moore 
Charlotte brings up a really good point here is that it, it almost seems that Rex Tillerson lost credibility internationally from the get go with the constant, you know, having the carpet or pulled out from un- under him or being thrown under the bus that there was uh, constant issues between the coordination of message between the secretary of state and the president. Uh, you know, we look at, you know, even as recently as the North Korea meeting incident that or North Korea meeting announcement that was done with only president Trump in the circle on that. They had no contact with uh, foggy bottom, the headquarters at state department. You look at what happened just recently with the poisoning of the uh, former Russian double agent in, uh, in the United Kingdom and there in Great Britain, uh, where Theresa May made very, very direct and, and, and very uh, uh, angered words towards Russia. Rex Tillerson followed suit with a very strong message to uh, the Russian Kremlin, and yet Donald Trump remained silent. Uh, does that coordination cause, number one, not only conflict inside inside the White House and inside uh, the State Department, but does does that also cause conflict with our allies as well? Well, (laughs) this president doesn't play well with others. He doesn't take advice well, and he finds um, personal pleasure and excitement in being unpredictable, in being in, I won't call it bold um, because if it's unexpected and stupid, is that bold? Um, it, <laughs> he just takes a lot, a, a curious pleasure in uh, in just making up his own mind. He's got this enormous, unfortunately misplaced trust in his own wisdom and judgment. So. Even when he's got some smart people around him, he tends not to automatically think, gosh, I've got some bases to touch. And I'm thinking now that he doesn't even oftentimes, some of the time doesn't even touch the John Kelly base because John Kelly would say, got it, Mr. President, but let's just convene a meeting. Let's have a conversation. Let's do a memo. Let's do something and give your team a chance to to bring up issues that may not be obvious on their face. You got an entire de- department at, at state, for example, and an entire intelligence community all over the city and the country. Let's just take a day or two and kind of run this by people. The, the president looks at that kind of advice and says, "Go back to your office," or "I'm sorry, I asked." We're doing it. It's going to be great. Um, and so uh, North Korea, but John, or, uh, Rex Teller, Secretary Tillerson was in Africa. So he wasn't even in town, it, which made it a little easier to ignore him. Um, but he <laughs> has shown an abil- he's shown an ability to ignore him no matter what. So, and, and, and anybody else around him. You know, was McMaster in the loop? I don't know. The president supposedly walked into a meeting 
It was a preparatory meeting to a meeting the next day in which the president was going to sit. And lo and behold, he sits down, listens a little bit, and says, let's do it. Let's announce it. And he sends some South Korean <laughs> diplomats out to the, to the podium outside the White House to announce this thing after dark. It was bizarre as hell. We don't have any real confirmation from the North Koreans that the, well, the, the you're, supposed you're jumping ahead. elements Alan, of you're the agreement ahead. are even real. John, Alan, you're jumping ahead on topics that we're going to talk about later in the show, but and I and I, and I guess it ties into the, the the greater problem in Sharmila when we look at big international gaps like that. Uh, can you know? Can we afford? You know, with particularly with some very sensitive issues coming up. You know, we've got we've talked about North Korea. We still have a question on whether or not they're going to uh, dissolve the Iranian agreement. Uh, We still have the Russian meddling in elections issues. So many key, uh, key issues and so many key relations that put our national security in clear and present danger. It strikes me that we're playing very fast and loose with something that could get away from the White House and this administration very quickly, unless we have some really thorough trust built into our diplomatic corps. Sharmila. I absolutely agree with you, right? One of the sad legacies of Rex Tillerson is the gross understaffing of the State Department. Uh, you know, as Alan said, a large majority of ambassadorships remain empty, tons of career uh, officials have departed during Tillerson's short tenure because they felt that the department was headed in the wrong direction and didn't have the right leadership or the right support. And, right, this problem hasn't been limited to Rex Tillerson. I think the decline of the State Department's influence has been in gear for the last probably 10 to 15 years as the Department of Homeland Security and the CIA and the intelligence agencies and the national security apparatus has gained more prominence and You're absolutely right. Without a strong, trained, and knowledgeable diplomatic corps, the U.S. is not going to be able to successfully field a lot of the major issues that we are faced with. And now, when you think about the fact that the president has imposed unilateral tariffs on the entire world, that's another national security and diplomatic issue that you're going to have to have people in place to be able to work through. And, you know, again, if the president gets his way and forces sort of all the adults out of the room in, on the National Security Council and in his you know, domestic uh, policy shop, he could try to force through some of his original ideas like the Muslim ban or the wall. That's going to require seasoned dip- diplomats to be able to work through with our, with our neighbors and you know, allied countries. So, Justin, you're absolutely right that without a knowledgeable and deep diplomatic bench, the U.S. is coming into a lot of these negotiations and a lot of these problems at a disadvantage. And by the way, we should also note that along with announcing the fact that Mike Pompeo was going to be the next Secretary of State, he also announced the fact that uh, longtime CIA veteran Gina Haspel is going to take over. She's going to be, in fact, the first female head of an intelligence service. She's going to be nominated as the next director of Central Intelligence, or DCI, as we call it inside the Beltway. Sharmila, I mean, for a 
arguably misogynistic president that we have in the White House right now in, in Donald Trump, does it surprise you that he would put a key member of his team, such as the director of central intelligence, make that a female and, and apparently a female that he trusts uh, inherently? Yeah, I mean, I was very surprised and not unpleasantly that he considered and is nominating a woman to be the director of the Central Intelligence Agency and one who, you know, I know there's controversy around her supervision of uh, interrogation sites and potential involvement with torture and sort of banned uh, interrogation techniques, but she is a career veteran of the CIA. She's not some, you know, flunky political appointment. Uh, she's been at the agency for a long time. She's well-respected within the agency, and I think, yes, I mean, it's, it's surprising, but a, a great uh, move by Donald Trump. You know, and it's funny. And you hear me Alan say that Moore, rarely. Yeah, I know. I know. That's the great thing about it is Alan Moore, you know, it's it's funny, too, because there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of criticism regarding uh, the relationship between the White House and Langley uh, with Mike Pompeo there. There was a good connection between those two, but it not didn't necessarily fix the morale problem that they were having inside the intelligence community with the president constantly bashing them. Everybody I've talked to says that uh, Gina Haspel has a great deal of respect, not only from the White House and the Oval Office, but has a great deal of respect from those who – are going to be working for her, those in the intelligence community there, not only at Langley at CIA, but in the other component agencies that make up the intelligence community. And even the foreign intelligence community has a lot of respect for her. She's not a no-name quantity. Uh, She's not somebody who seeks the spotlight a lot. Does that fit into the, you're going to do well with Donald Trump because of that aspect? Well, I think that, that it, it is uh, it's a helpful start um, that, that that alone, but it, but but I think as Sharmila pointed out, this is well. You both have, have mentioned that she's a she's been there thirty years. She's only been in the deputy job for for a matter of months, um, but um, I'm guessing she was Pompeo's recommendation. Uh, it, 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 I don't know how much time she has actually spent with the president. Hopefully, she has spent some time. Hopefully, she has observed Pompeo um, and let him mentor her in how to uh, talk to this president about very complicated things, um, super secret things, in ways that he will understand and then also honor the confidentiality of. That's no small matter. Um, and and Pompeo apparently has, has sort of mastered it and uh, is now going on to uh, a different role in a different place. And and now the new director, assuming she's confirmed, um, is uh, is going to try to follow in those Pompeo footsteps, all in an environment when this president in a moment will pivot and be highly critical of any of these services. It's a risky game. Uh, the nice, the other nice thing about her is that it, she makes it possible not to have to look outside for a replacement at a time when <clears throat> a lot of highly qualified people for senior jobs aren't interested. But if you're the deputy and you're a careerist and you say, hey, let's do it, let's go for it, 
Um, it, 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 by all accounts, looks like a good choice. And I give the, the White House credit for, uh, for moving in that direction pretty quickly. This thing didn't just get put together this morning. It had to have happened over at least a matter of days. And I, in, in terms of the timing, I think it is perhaps fair to bring up the, uh, the possibility uh, that has been speculated upon by others that one of the reasons he wanted to move right now so quickly was because uh, there is another matter uh, that's uh, out in the air um, uh, in the news. Uh, it is extraordinarily embarrassing to this president. And he has, and I'm talking about the, the, the porn star Stormy Daniels and um uh, and and the relationship and the hush money and the confidentiality agreement and the 60 minutes interview and all this stuff and the and the thought is that the the president has done a, has an amazing capacity and ability to change the subject especially if the subject is something of troublesome embarrass or particularly embarrassing to him well, he, and or his several- family He's got several of those uh, issues facing him right now, Alan. You look at the disastrous interview that uh, Secretary Betsy DeVos, the Secretary of Education, did on 60 Minutes with Leslie Stahl. That was a complete and total disaster. People I've talked to inside the White House have said that you know they were literally gagging and choking and coughing inside the White House watching this go down. It was such an embarrassment. Uh, you even today it was announced that uh, the president, the president's assistant, personal assistant, the one we know as the body man, John McEntire, John McEntire was actually walked out of the White House, stripped of his credentials, because according to several sources, he is under investigation by the U.S. Secret Service for serious financial crimes, quote unquote. Uh, another embarrassing issue towards, and then you have the Stormy Daniels situation. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of negative, embarrassing stuff happening for the president. And I agree with you. I think he's got an amazing ability to turn the page very quickly, and and it, it's almost like you know an illusionist. You know, look over here, look over here. Oh, look what just popped up. There's a quarter behind your ear. At, at, at one point, or or is he doing a good job, Sharmila, of making the quarter behind the ear reality to many American voters? I think this is the same thing he did during the campaign, right? The president is great at throwing spaghetti at the wall. He is great at just, you know, and the media helps him out exponentially right there's so much going on with him that it just becomes this like wall of spaghetti and all of it becomes baked into the cake with him so the fact that he is erratic the fact that he is mercurial the fact that he will change his mind on a dime the fact that he makes these vulgar pronouncements or will attack you know a random person this is all baked into the cake now with his voters so i think the the voters who already liked trump are going to continue to like him and the voters who are turned off by Trump eventually myself included become kind of numb to it. And so you, I think he has been really successful in this, um, you know, as, as Alan pointed out in this change in subject strategy, it, it works for him because there's, he's breaking so many norms at such a fast pace that no one can keep up and it gives you whiplash and you sort of, 
you again, you, you become desensitized to the norms and the values that he's breaking. Interesting. I'm going to let that be the last one for the segment. We're going to continue on. Obviously, uh, oh, wait a minute. I, got to, I, I forgot. We have to do our latest administration uh, bailout pool. Uh, who will be the next one? So uh, nobody won the last bailout pool. Uh, because nobody picked Rex Tillerson as going first. Uh, so this week we're going to start with a clean slate, uh, double down. Uh, Alan Moore, who is going to be the next one to bail out? <laughs> I'll pick uh, McMaster. The, the, the you think H.R. McMaster? Very good. Uh, Sharmila? Well, Alan stole my choice, so I will guess John Kelly. John Kelly. You know who I'm picking? Jeff Sessions. I think Jeff Sessions is gone. I think he, he will. I think he's going to fire Jeff Sessions. And in fact, before we go, I want to just bring this up, and I'd like your thoughts on this. Uh, interesting statement by the president as he was doing his walkout to Marine One as he goes out to go look at uh, draperies and uh, color swatches for the new wall out there on the uh, southern border in San Diego. As he's walking out, he says that he's getting to a point where, quote-unquote, the administration that he is hoping for. It, it should, and just in 30 seconds or less, Alan Moore, is, is that a signal that we're going to see other, not just shakeups, but major shakeups within the cabinet? Yeah, good question. Um, he's, he's got some slots he has to fill, right? <laughs> he's got to fill the Gary Cohn spot. He's He's got to actually execute successfully this switch from Tillerson to, uh, to Pompeo. Um, and I'm guessing, and by the way, we've Tiller, already heard, I, we, and, and by the way, Alan, let me just interrupt on, on the, on the, uh, on the Gary Cohn replacement, we've already heard rumors and they even reported it this morning on CNBC that Larry Kudlow, the longtime analyst for CNBC, longtime wall street, uh, uh, graybeard could be the replacement for, uh, Gary Cohen. I've seen his name. We'll see um, if 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 it's a somebody who's got some financial entanglements in different places. It can be complicated. It can be right. surprisingly complicated. They have to do some background looking, and they don't want to be embarrassed. It takes time. Um, yeah. And and uh, the Pompeo matter won't won't be done in a day. Uh, I don't know whether Tellerson he was treated so shabbily on the way out uh, or the way this was handled. Um, I don't know whether he'll say, Hey, not to, not, not to worry. I'll, I'll hang in and we'll keep things going until the, until Pompeo's confirmed um, or whether he'll say, bye bye. Uh, right. I don't know. Well, uh, and, and uh, I, I don't know the president. <laughs> he, he, he never had an A team. He had a couple of right. team members, arguably. Um, he ended up with sort of the the BC team, and now he's kind of in the <laughs> he's in the C team, C minus team, D, D right. team. Um, so he, of course he thinks they're all fabulous, but he, right. he, no, no, I'm sorry, I don't think he thinks that. I think that he says that because he's such a salesman. He just lies just like he would about how great a condo is right it's the best <laughs> condo the best building the best location the best story about the fact the that it overlooks a landfill it, 
Yeah, well, or that, that there's these problems in the foundation and the building's tilting a little bit. But, or, that but, it, or that it sits on a Superfund site in New Jersey. Or it's sinking. It's sinking right into <laughs> yeah, the Yeah, so, so, so <laughs> it, it's the kind of thing that he's just used to speaking in superlatives. And we, as Sharma points out, we're all kind of numbed to it. And we, right. we stop taking him literally um, uh, because, because it's one exaggeration, um, falsehood, et cetera, after another. Right. So – I, but I think he probably also, though, knows that some of his folks really are not the A team. And he's thinking, now, why did we pick him again? Or, I mean, Betsy DeVos. Because nobody else wanted the job. My, my, curious, my, my right. thought well, on I that, mean, I watched that, um, was I wasn't expecting a lot from her, but I was expecting more preparation from her. I was yeah. expecting, you know, a C. C plus performance and it was more a D D plus performance and that was unnecessary. It was like, why was she, why did they do that? And why was she so unprepared for questions that were anticipatable? Right. Charla? Well, I mean, I was going to say the, the ridiculous thing about the president's statement that he's getting closer to the cabinet that he wants is that he picked all these people. They weren't, you know, assigned to him. He didn't inherit them from President Obama, other than David Shulkin, who he kept voluntarily, right? He picked all of who these also, guys. And, and by the way, like who Alex... was also in the bailout pool. <laughs> right? And yes. so, like Alan said, yes, he, he knew is. he either, he could have gotten an A-team, but as Alan pointed out before, he rejected them, right? Elliot Cohen was tapped by Rex Tillerson to be his Deputy Secretary of State, and the Trump White House rejected him because he'd said mean things about Donald Trump on the campaign trail. So Donald Trump purposefully rejected the A team and is now complaining about the B team, which is, you know, part of his lifelong MO, which is to make bad choices and then blame everyone else when things don't pan out, right? The man cannot accept responsibility for his actions. But that's a separate point entirely. But I think. Well, so that... much for... <laughs> I'm sorry, what, yeah. Justin? No, I was going to say so much for staying on time target because we've blown through that 30 seconds or less. Um, uh, Audrey Howerton, our associate producer, hopefully you're taking notes on who's got who in the administration bailout pool. Uh, we'll announce that every week because apparently it's becoming an every week thing. Uh, also, uh, outside, outside odds are that uh, uh, the Secretary of Veterans Affairs, Gary Shulkin, and also uh, the HUD secretary uh, may be in a little bit of dicey trouble with the Oval Office. So we'll keep an eye on that. We'll report don't, on that. don't forget about Ryan Zinke and his oh, $139,000 oh, yeah, door. Yep, Ryan Zinke might have a problem too. There's all kinds of good stuff happening. But hey, who's about corruption? Uh, this administration <laughs> is. Hey, uh, let, let's, uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the – North Korea announcement that happened last week, because one would think that that would be the biggest story that we could have gone in between seven days. We can't keep up with this. I really think that we could possibly go to every day to do this show because it is just amazing. We're going to talk North Korea uh, politics when we come back. This is Backroom Politics Live on Law Talk Radio. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us.
Show you've never heard of it is backroom politics live on blog talk radio i'm your host and moderator justin russell broadcasting from the great sunshine state of florida on the east coast joining me from new york city as she always does sharma lachari and the national capital region alan moore our associate producer audrey howerton is somewhere in the left side of the sunshine state enjoying spring break audrey hope you're listening hope you're having a good time and we're going to shift gears right now and talk a little bit about north korea so just as things couldn't get any more bizarre in the past 18 months of this administration, we see something that, that nobody would have ever expected. And, and I guess, Alan, you pointed it out as just a situation that was, for lack of a better term, bizarre. So last week, uh, the South, a South Korean delegation, which included – uh, members of the foreign ministry and the defense and intelligence community from our ally South Korea showed up at the White House in a meeting with uh, Donald Trump. And the South Koreans apparently brought a message of, hey, you know what? Kim Jong-un wouldn't mind having a sit down with you. He wouldn't be against it. So what does Donald Trump do? Hey, go announce it. At which time... <laughs> The South Korean delegation walks out of, and the South Korean ambassador walks out into the Western Drive Rotunda and says in a presser on the driveway, hey, uh, President Trump's going to be meeting with Kim Jong-un. It'll happen by May. Uh, Taking everybody by complete and total surprise, uh, everybody but 
Donald Trump himself. Now, a little bit of backstory on that is during uh, Sarah Huckasander's uh, press briefing that day in the press room, Donald Trump, in, in fact, poked his head in and told everybody that some big announcement was coming down the pike. Apparently, he was the only one who knew. And now we know that that was apparently the big announcement. Uh, so many questions, so many bizarre uh, instances how this came about. Alan Moore, I'm going to start with you. As, as a, again, as a former Undersecretary for International Affairs at the Department of Commerce, you know the geopolitical world well. It, it, it seems odd to me that we've never had a president that's ever met with anybody from the North Korean regime. And by anybody, we mean uh, the current dictator, the current uh, uh ass his father or his grandfather why now does this in fact make sense to legitimize kim jong-un and the north korean regime on a big global stage by giving him a sit down and a coffee with the 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 most powerful man in the free world so my take on this is that it's risky it was handled in a in a in a really uh, haphazard, spur of the moment, not very closely considered way, which we're sadly getting used to. Having said that, I would rather that we have this meeting and this kind of conversation than go back to what we were doing with these same North Koreans. The same, our same president and 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 their esteemed leader, um, saber rattling, threatening, doing tests. I'd rather be where we are than where we were. For me, it's close. It's a close call, but it it swings slightly to this is better than that. Um, and but Alan, we'll Alan, before having, we having said that, yeah. Well, hold on. Before you go, before you go forward, on, I, I do want to ask the question though. But using doesn't this legitimize that anybody in the world that wants to create a problem? This just is uh, placating to the screaming baby. Every time the baby cries, you give the baby what it wants, and it gets its way. We have no idea of who has given up anything. Or you know, is is North Korea putting anything on the table other than talk? There's no guarantee of that. Why would we do this? Well, we. It seems to me that we would rather be talking than rattling our sabers and doing uh, a, uh, a ballistic missile tests and nuclear weapons tests. The, the reason we're talking to this guy, which let, let me make it clear. I would like to have seen this go a different way. I would like like to have seen us start some mid-level conversations and not start with the two top guys who neither one of whom is particularly knowledgeable in international affairs, stable <laughs> or predictable. But um, it's just not how you go about doing this kind of thing. However, this business Unless you're about Kim Jong-un giving Trump. him, you know what gives him what gives him legitimacy is not a meeting with Donald Trump. What gives him legitimacy is having nuclear weapons. 
and some capacity, uh, presumably or close to it, to actually deliver those weapons to other parts of the world. We can't ignore that kind of person. We can, we, you know, by, by pretending they don't exist, refusing to have, any, have meetings or conversations does not uh, take away the extraordinary leverage that having a nuclear weapon provides. It's one of the reasons that so many countries like North Korea uh, starve their people in order to devote scarce resources to the development of these kinds of weapons. In and of itself, that's what gives them stature, not a conversation um, with an American president, although that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a piece of it, I would acknowledge. Right. Well, joining us right now on the phone, because uh, we love him better late than ever, he is the former Joe Biden political operative, longtime Democratic political strategist, and a bar certified attorney in the great state of Maryland and the District of Columbia. He's a man that we know as Dan Littner Esquire. Daniel, how are you? Welcome. I am doing well, and sorry I was late, but I was listening in briefly, and something about Alan talking about a Stormy Daniels video collection, and I thought I had to <laughs> get in the show to make sure we stayed on topic on politics. The you want to get sideways. collector's items, man. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want Alan, to get sideways. I don't want to know how you know that. Yeah, and we don't need to know your porn hub addiction. That's fine. Thank you. Anyway, that means... <laughs> Anyway, that being the case, Dan Lipner, you know, we, we, I think all of us inside the Beltway kind of looked at this and said, hey, you know, this just does not make sense. Uh, having the it – was, it was so ham-handedly handled by the administration. Uh, can, can we afford to play, as I said before, fast and loose? with a president that's just making game day calls on something as important as a meeting with North Korea? Well, so first of all, while I'm hesitant to give cover to administration, in this case I will, this wasn't the president's administration. This was the president that, that did this, and everyone was caught off guard he, by him deciding that he's going to do this meeting. And Mind you, we still haven't heard from the North Koreans on this meeting. So for all we know that they are wildly confused about this. Heck, they could be listening to our show looking for advice on how to, to deal with this president because nobody seems to have the slightest clue. That said, everyone's dealt with North Korea wrong. Um, and this shake how do you say, how do you say that everybody – Dan, how do you say that everybody's dealt with North Korea wrong? The entire global community is – handled the North Korean question wrong, is what you're saying. And the, our entire goal in life for North Korea was to keep them from having nuclear weapons for how many presidents and how did that go? Uh, that, that, that would be the definition of failure. So <laughs> if that's the case, all right, if Dennis Rodman wants to brief Donald Trump on how to talk to to the Kim family and the North Koreans, okay. Uh, Rodman seemed to make some headway as far as a personal relationship. Does it sound crazy? Yeah. But thus far, we, ha we have yet to see anything actually make a dent in what, what they're trying to do as far as uh, 
advancing their nuclear technology. In this case, it's their nuclear and missile technology. So is it worth a shot? Sure. What can we really lose to do to what extent? I mean, North Korea is already an international pariah, with the exception of to the Russians and the Chinese and uh, the Assad regime. So, okay. Uh, can, it's hard to get worse. Sharma, go ahead. With the point that, that I, I'm surprised Dan hasn't brought up, which is that it seems like North Korea is this willing to enter into talks with President Trump because they know he's a terrible negotiator, right? I think that, Justin, your earlier question of, why does President Trump want to do this, and is it a good idea? Is that I think that he, right? He doesn't know what he doesn't know. I, you know, he thinks that he is the world's best negotiator, and he's he knows that you know he's the first one to sit down and do this, and he's going to get them to the table and beat some concessions out of them. When the truth of his negotiating prowess, not just during his presidency, but over the course of his business career, is that the man can't cut a deal to save his life. And the North Koreans have studied him, and they know this. They know that a little bit of flattery can go a long way with Donald Trump. Look at how uh, Xi Jinping manipulated him in their meeting. Look how Vladimir Putin has manipulated him. Look how any of the world leaders who have been our traditional allies, like Theresa May and Angela Merkel and Malcolm Turnbull, who, when they criticize him, suddenly get the cold shoulder from him. Justin Trudeau has somehow managed to play him masterfully because he'll never criticize him in person, and he'll smile to his face, but he'll do whatever he wants behind his back. So I think the North Koreans see this. They know this. They know that if they can get in a room with him, they can flatter him to the skies, and all of his bluster about, oh, you need to denuclearize completely, is going to go completely out the window. So I think that is the big danger of this meeting. And granted, the other big danger is that we've had denuclearization talks with North Korea before, and they have just lied. They have said one thing to our face and continued to build out their nuclear program. So I think that while, yes, diplomacy is always a good strategy, um, your Alan was right that you need to get some mid-level people talking first before you get these two. And I think I would push back on Dan's argument that there's no real danger here, that there's only upside, because I think there's a lot of downside for the United States. I think that the president could end up conceding a lot more than he realizes, and the North Koreans are more than prepared to play on his ignorance and to play on his vanity. You know, Alan Moore, Charlotte brings up a great point is, you know, this is nothing that other administrations couldn't have done with either, you know, bilateral or trilateral discussions that would possibly involve Switzerland or the Vatican or other players, Russia, China. Uh, The seven party talks never really worked. What's different now? What's different now is that (laughs) that the North Koreans appear appear to be willing to talk to us to have a pause in testing and to put denuclearization on the table do we believe them we have no great reason to given the history but a pause is pretty easy to observe and a pause is better than the the lingering testing Quiet, calm uh, public commentary is better than name calling. Um, and uh, and, I, and I, when I think about uh, the deal that might get cut, um, uh, I think about some of the deals that have been cut and negotiated so far by this administration. Um, immigration. Let's have a great meeting. Let's make some commitments and promises and then ignore them. Um, 
uh, and guns. Let's have some great meetings and seem to agree on this side and then agree to that side and then kind of back away, but then maybe move forward. I mean, if, I, if, if I'm trying to cut a deal with, with, with Donald Trump, I'm going to be even, I think even if stuff gets written down, you'd have to worry, but if it's not, if it's not written down and signed, good God, then you're back to the, to the Donald Trump of, of uh, the Trump family empire, where I, I, I would disagree with Sharmila when she said he was a disastrous negotiator, because he's made billions, he's apparently worth billions of dollars. He's got this big company. Now, it's, it's an odd company mm-hmm. where he, part of his success, he, he, it's a mixed bag. It's like everything. He, he, he did some yeah, stuff Alan, in New York Alan, City Alan, that, Alan, that, nobody, that nobody else could succeed he also doesn't, doesn't pay contractors. He doesn't fulfill Alan, his end of the deal. Okay, but, okay, but Alan, you cannot – I mean, this is a man who's gotten his business and, and made it out of shameless self-promotion. Negotiating under shameless self-promotion context is not the same as dealing negoti- and negotiating with a rogue head of state in a regime that is literally – I mean, the guy killed his uncle by tying him to a cannon and firing it. Okay, this is the, not the president, a the president. The president may not want to shake his brother. hand. Wait, what, what was that, Charmla? I said, don't forget what he did to his brother. Yeah, yeah. In the, the president may, may not want to shake his hand. Is all I'm saying, because um, <laughs> who knows what what might be rubbed off onto his skin. Look, good grief. The, the, I mean, but then again, this is a president who was mentored and had a lot of respect for Roy Cohen. So is Kim Jong-un that bad in, in, in comparison? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you know, the other thing that we have to take into consideration is the fact that, you know, and Dan Lipner, I'll go to you on this. Is, is the president even smart enough to go to people who in previous years have had some resemblance of success in dealing with the regime in Pyongyang, i.e., does he have, can he put stuff aside and go ask for advice from people like former New Mexico governor and Clinton administration official Bill Richardson? No. <laughs> I mean, where's the evidence that he's taking advice from anyone who knows what they're doing, ever? Uh, Good point. So there's... Uh, I mean, the closest thing we had to success, and even then it's been shown that it wasn't that successful, was the Clinton administration, and again with Bill Richardson as par- party to it, uh, getting making a nuclear deal for a uh, nuclear power plant that could only produce electricity, uh, and we discovered the, uh, the Koreans were cheating. That was the closest thing to success anyone has had. Other than that, the Koreans cheat. Or the North Koreans cheat. Okay, next question. It, 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 you know, maybe this is one of those things. You know, it takes a liar to know a liar. So, you know, President Trump sitting across the table, there could be an odd meeting of the minds that occurs because they could actually see each other in each other's eyes. That could actually be the magic moment. In which case, the answer to the question on the next person leaving the administration would be Melania. <laughs> I feel like... I feel like Dan is describing some kind of rom-com where two con men meet and fall in love with each other. 
but I don't think that's what's going to happen here. Didn't, I was going to say, didn't it, didn't it star uh, uh, oh, what's what's her name? Sigourney Weaver. It, it was based in Palm Beach. I don't know. I could be wrong. Anyway, uh, going back going back to the South going back to this North Korean question, Alan Moore, do you think that Mike Pompeo would have the foresight to go and talk to people who have actually had dealings with this regime before, not only in neutral areas, but on their own terms uh, in Pyongyang. Well, so even though the, the announcement suggested a really, really short turnaround, i.e. a meeting before the end of May, we'll see if that happens. There's still some time for people at State Department and on the outside um, and another in the, in the intelligence agencies to scramble and say, what do we know about these guys? What's the history? What would be our game plan? Um, they, and they will talk to any, they will talk to all sorts of people who have some experience, including the, the recent uh, North Korea expert from the state department who, who, who left the department, who retired from the department, I think within weeks ago, bring him back, talk to him, maybe hire him as a consultant for a while. I don't know. We will, we will, we will madly scramble. We will put some stuff together that will not be t- terrible. Now, what the question is, will the president read it, reflect upon it, allow himself to be briefed on it, engage uh, in conversation, or will he pick three key points that kind of fit his worldview and build and, and have the, the, the personal confidence um, misplaced as it usually is, to think that he can take that and use that and cut a deal. And this president, as we know, whatever he agrees to, and if I'm the North Koreans, I'm not unaware of this, whatever he agrees to, he can just renege on if he wants to. If it turns out, oh, that wasn't a a very good deal, all right, never mind. Uh, Bye. (laughs) John Kelly, let them know. That 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 thing we shook hands on and those points, yeah, they're null and void. Um, I, I'm not predicting any great success. I just would rather us be doing this, as I think Dan agrees, than what we were doing before. Um, I'm a great skeptic. I'm not ex- ex- expecting miracles. But then again, let's remember that North Korea is a basket case. It's an international pariah. There are economic sanctions against it that have been tighter and tighter and tighter. And its main source of an outlet and, 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 and place for assistance and to earn income is the Chinese. And the Chinese are tired of being associated with these liars and thugs and murderers. So let's not forget that there's an enormous amount of pressure on uh, on on Kim and and his regime and his family but, to make some change. We'll see. I'm not predicting success, but who knows? As but, says, but we've we've had a crappy. America's had a crappy track record in the, in the last several decades trying to deal with these people. This is very different. We'll see. But here's here's what scares me is. You know, one, I mean, I would not put it past the president because the president was having a pretty crappy week when he was when he made this announcement. Let's be clear uh, between the issue of Jared and Javanka 
the issue regarding uh, his security clearance issues. Hope Hicks had just uh, bailed on him. Don't Other... forget the big stormy storm. And, and, and of <laughs> course, we can't forget. Wow, you said that way too eagerly. Uh, and, and, and of course, the ongoing saga with Stormy Daniels. The, you, you know, what scares me about this is that this is a president who I would not put past him that if he found out that Robert Mueller was starting to close in on somebody close to him, that he just doesn't wake up, make a phone call out to Andrews Air Force Base and say, hey, I want to go to Pyongyang, fire it up, and just decides, well, we're going to go today. Uh, You know, when you don't consult on a major announcement like, hey, we're going to meet with the North Koreans with your secretary of state, number one, or even consult with – I mean, we, we saw the departure of Joseph Yun, who is the uh, – he was the chief negotiator and led the North Korean question inside State Department. When the president made this announcement, he said, screw this. I'm out of here. I mean, the, the, the smartest people no, he in was the room – he was already gone. He was already was he gone. Already, he didn't – Was he already gone? this deal. Yeah, that oh, predated this deal. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, but again, we're losing all the smart people in the room. We're losing all the adults. Can we afford from a national security or even an economic security aspect of having this fly-by-night, roll-the-dice type diplomatic? I mean, is this going to get us into trouble? Alan Moore. It's risky. There's no denying there's risk associated with this. So when I say... I'd rather be doing this than that. It's not because I think we're now on the road to success, but we were in a heap of, in a heap of crap before in this this name calling and the testing and the enhanced capabilities and the concerns about their their uh, their improved uh, delivery uh, capacities and weapons that we know they have um, uh, some number of so. So I'd rather we I'd rather we talk. This is bold. It's risky. Yes, it's risky. But but uh, and I have, I have very little confidence in this president. On the one hand, on on the other hand, we have had a record of consistent uh, 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 failure, and they lie, and we have a president who has shown in his negotiations um, a capacity. To be less than honest, to right. change his mind, to change direction, to and, and I like <laughs> I like Dan's image of two guys sitting across from uh, the table from each other and seeing each other in the other. <laughs> so just who having knows? an awkward pause. Who knows? <laughs> uh, wow, I can't. I I I I'm still very nervous about that. This this. This scares me a lot. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We should all uh, be nervous. Yes, we're, we're we're nervous on a daily basis. I mean, I mean, literally, we're coming. We're going to come back from the break, and we're just going to do a Pennsylvania Avenue free for all on all the other topics surrounding politics. I mean, I, I I literally am going to try and start off with the great jobs numbers that we saw last week that shows that the economy is in stellar shape. But then I know we're going to go back to porn stars. So I weep for our future. This is Backroom Politics live from 
the Sunshine State of Florida, the National Capital Region, and the great city of New York. We'll be back in two minutes. (laughs) Please stay with us. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. talk show you've never heard of. This is Backroom Politics, live on Block Talk Radio. I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. We are joined by Sharmila Chari in New York City and the Honorable Alan Moore in the National Capital Region and the Commonwealth of Virginia. Hey, we're going to shift gears a little bit and just kind of do a Pennsylvania free-for-all because there were so many other stories between when we last met and today. Uh, we can start with the great jobs numbers. Let's start off there. Uh, the the, the, I mean, there's no question, Sharmila Chari, that, that, that the president has been at the helm and can take the bully pulpit credit for having great job numbers and having uh, unemployment stay at 
a number that many say is full employment for the nation, 4.4, Are we at a point where we're just so drunk on those numbers and the economy being good and the Dow and NASDAQ seeing record numbers that eventually, you know, reality is going to kick in for us? Or is this economy sustainable with this administration? I think it's sustainable for the short term because um, because most employers, especially I think smaller employers, are pretty giddy about the tax cuts and they think that going to lead to larger revenues and you know a greater need uh, for their businesses. And so, yeah, I think short term it is sustainable. I think the question is whether or not long term, if this tax relief is really going to translate into more money into people's pockets and if these larger sort of revenue numbers are going to be borne out or whether, you know, as you saw with some of these other companies, whether this tax cut is going to put be put more into, you know, any, any gains from this tax cut is going to be put into savings or investments versus actual consumer spending. So that's where you're going to see, I think, you know, in probably 8 to 12 months, and Alan can probably correct me if I'm wrong, um, you know, that's where Which you're going to see if this, if this trend can be borne out. Well, which Alan will do. Alan loves to correct us when we're wrong. Alan, I mean, is this sustainable, I, or let, are we just going to be punch-strung? Yeah, let me, let me say, you know, I hate to correct. I hate to correct. <laughs> it's, just my, it's just my duty. <laughs> All right, we'll go with there's that. No, there's never we'll go, any pleasure. We'll so, go with that. Uh, but, no, I have no, I have no quarrel with, with, with what Sharmila said. Um, it, it, we don't know, you know, this, the, the, the economy has done considerably better than most experts expected. Um, some of that had to do with a rather slow sluggish recovery after, uh, during, during the Obama administration, it was painfully slow. I don't blame president Obama for that. Please understand. I don't blame the Congress for that. These powers, these movements, um, the politicians affect at the margin, but but they're really run much more by demographics, by world events, by underlying strength in an economy. Um, having said that, it's been a, it's been somewhat surprising. The the ebullient response in the marketplace um, is <laughs> it falls into the uh, in my humble opinion the irrational zone, but we've had irrational uh, exuberance in the past. And then we've also had uh, irrational um, uh, falling out and failure in the past. Um, the numbers have continued to look good. They're not crazy. Uh, some of those numbers are turning into um, uh, uh, pay raises, um, bonuses, um, the tax cut, much as I didn't like it, I did. I will remind everybody who predicts that, that it would have this positive impact um, for, for a while, uh, on both on the economy and on, to some extent on voters, that, 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 that Democrats were going to, to, to might well rue the day that they were trashing uh, 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 this bill that was going to put money into millions and millions and millions of people's pockets, um, uh, forget whether, forget the underlying content, et cetera. Um, and, and um, so it, it, sustainable, it's never sustainable. You know, the market 
had a has not had the ten percent correction, but it did have a six seven percent correction. It kind of bounced back. There are there are people out there who make a living doing this stuff who think there's a you know a thirty to forty percent correction coming ahead, and there are others who are saying not for the next couple of years. If then um, we're on a ride, and there's on the and the underlying data uh, continues to be strong, and so uh, uh, ride it. Um, and whenever the market is is as strong as it is and improves, there are a lot of benefits for many, many, many people. It is, pardon the expression, the trickle down effect. Um, the more wealth that's being generated, the more people use use that wealth and invest it in in different kinds of stuff. Yeah, but but Dan Littner, I mean, it, 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 it seems to me, you know, the Fed has met. We have a new, we have a brand new Fed chairman who is not given any indication that we're going to see interest rate hikes, which might control this a little bit more. It just seems that we're continuing to order shots of Jägermeister. My fear is, is that when we wake up in the morning, the hangover is not going to be just horrible, but it's going to be worse than the hangover we had in 2008-2009. Are we, are we close to being at that point? Well, yeah. We, th- there's a big problem that even the Fed can't control for uh, because of uh, irresponsible spending in, in this case. And in a moment where we do not have a economic crisis, we do not have a, a, the tremendous hot wars that we previously had, uh, while well, still noting that w- w- there are still people fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan, and we have armed forces in other parts of the world, it's still not quite what it was. What we do have is a trillion-dollar deficit uh, that is adding on to the debt. And one of the things that I've recently noticed, and I'm glad that I bought my house when I did, uh, because interest rates um, are going up. And that's one of those things that puts a dampener on lots of things pretty quick, especially when most Americans are in debt. And a lot of those Americans that are in debt are not in debt to things that could pay off in the long term. Uh, For example, like a house or even student loans, even though the student loan crisis is a real thing. No, no, we're just talking about the simplicity of things like credit card debt, which as those interest rates go up, Uh, That's going to be a sucking sound. And worse yet, for the capital investments that we still desperately need to make in this country, there's a real question as to whether or not we will be able to service the nation's current debt and do some of the other things that we have to do. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the irrational exuberance side of things. And uh, it's a matter of time till till something pushes people on the over the edge while people are, you know, bouncing around and, and making lots of money, some those folks are all get real skittish real quick when you hit a hiccup. So, I think it's a matter of time, and I don't think that time is that far ahead of us. And Charmalachari, you know, with great numbers, the president's got a great reason to, you know, thump his chest and say, "Look at me, I'm the man." At the same time, he also got a little bit of good news yesterday when we found out that 
the uh, House Intelligence Committee, in fact, has issued a what appears to be a final report on their investigation into collusion between Russia and the Trump administration or the Trump campaign. And uh, basically, they came out and said, quote, we found no evidence of collusion. And so we found perhaps some bad judgment in appropriate meetings. We found no evidence of any collusion of anything people were actually doing other than taking a meeting that they shouldn't have or just inadvertently being in the same building. Uh, at some point, uh, the, the, the Democrats, under the auspices of ranking member Adam Schiff of California, is going to come out swinging on this. Uh, is this a good move or a bad move to close this out? I mean, I've heard arguments both ways. What's your take? Well, I think that, well, I mean, the the fact is that one part, one faction of the House Intelligence Committee, the Republican side, came to this conclusion. The, Democrat, the Democrats on the committee already came out swinging last night. They were all over cable news saying, we do not agree with this finding. We believe that there was evidence of collusion. We believe that the investigation should have remained open. I think that the House Intelligence investigation has been marred from the beginning. It's been pretty tainted and discredited by the actions of Chairman Nunes, you know, even after his recusal, he's still been speaking publicly about the investigation. He's seen as sort of a flunky of the president. Um, you know, Allen, I think, would argue that Adam Schiff's behavior hasn't helped things. I can, I can certainly find room to agree with that. And so I think the House investigation has been largely discredited in a lot of ways from the get-go. And so I don't know that the fact that this panel has now said that we're concluding the investigation, we haven't found evidence of collusion, is really very significant because, in truth, you still have the Senate Intelligence Committee doing their own investigation, which is operating in a much more, much more bipartisan manner, and you still have Robert Mueller out there you know, biding his time and gathering evidence. So I think that, yes, it makes a good Twitter talking point for the president, and in, in terms of short-term victories and the short-term media attention span, this is a good thing for him, but ultimately, I don't know how significant it really is. Alan Moore, I've talked to a couple of folks on the Hill and heard the sentiment that uh, Congressman Tom Rooney of Pennsylvania said last night on CNN, where he basically said, look, it's lost all credibility. They've come off the rails. I mean, is, is this almost a good thing for Republicans in the House and on this committee to just put this animal out of its misery? I mean, they have lost all credibility out. That is the, that I can agree with that. Yes, the, they have so completely and thoroughly discredited themselves, particularly the Republicans, but with a major assist uh, from Adam Schiff and the Democrats um, that I despise that committee. I despise the the divisions there. I despise the the departure from the long tradition of intelligence committees on both the Senate and the House to find ways to work together. Um, And, and, uh, and, and yes, Nunes is the number one um, uh, target uh, for, uh, for despicable behavior. Um, So, not that big a deal that they do this. The Democrats will respond somehow. If you remember the just not that many weeks ago when the there was a Republican staff report about the 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 FISA warrants and the the dossier 
Uh, there wasn't a lot there, but that didn't stop the Democrats from putting out their counter uh, paper in which there wasn't a lot there. Um, the, 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 the one thing you haven't mentioned, though, in terms of this Republican document that of all places to show how far down into the toilet we have gone was released on Fox News of all places um, uh, and and uh, was the fact that they said we found no evidence of collusion. I'm guessing that may, in fact, be where the Senate and Mueller come out. I don't know. But 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 what was more significant was not that, but the fact that they, you know, they did acknowledge that the Russians were involved, but but they disagreed in their in in this document. Apparently it was only one page that was released yesterday, by the way, with the conclusion of the unanimous, the unanimous intelligence community of the United States of America, that the objective of the Russians or at least do harm to Hillary Clinton, because you remember there was a time when they were helping Bernie. Um, for some reason, they decided to go their own way. And, and it's hard, you know, we haven't seen the content and, and had smarter people than, than us look, look at the detail um, and say, really? Why would they set themselves so far apart from the, the the unanimous view of the intelligence community, the unanimous view of people like the future Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But again, they have no business putting out a Republican document, and 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 they sort of force the Democrats to do something. It's just it's pathetic. It's sad. I'd like to put this stuff aside and move back to the two more serious or three, if you count the Senate Judiciary, which I think is also serious, investigation of some of these matters to look for uh, something closer to the truth. But we, you, you, Dan Littner, we, we look at the relationship between uh, Chairman Nunez and ranking member Schiff on the House uh, Intelligence Committee, and we look at the the Senate Committee, or as many inside the Senate building call it, SISI, the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, uh, you look at the relationship between Senator Burr and Senator Warner. Uh, it it almost seems like it, it, it's it's a tale of two cities. Why can't we see any sort of coordination in the House that we see in the Senate uh, with Burr and Warner? Because one is the House and one is the Senate. Um, and I don't okay. mean to sound cavalier about that. I mean, but but generally that. The, the the house is where the craziness happens and the senate a smaller t- team of members that have a more collegial approach to how they do their job not that that approach isn't occasionally broken but traditionally the senate has been the the, the cooling place for democracy to 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 happen uh and the senate intelligence committee has done a better job of it there have been hiccups uh but for the most part, people have been on the team, and the team being the team of the United States, not their party team. Uh, but with, on, the, on the House side of things, um, as far as the Republicans being unanimous on their conclusion, there's one question that's kind of floating out there. And while I'm a big fan of his, uh, I have made note of when he's spoken, and, and that would be Trey Gowdy. Uh, 
who is on the committee, and he's chimed in several times on several things, uh, a couple times refuting the White House directly on their conclusions. Uh, I can only assume he is part of the unanimous statement from the, uh, the Republicans on the committee. However, the fact that he's also quitting Congress, uh, I have a few questions about that that haven't quite been worked out. He said he wants to go and teach at a law school. That's possible. But I think there might be something else at play that he doesn't he, he doesn't want any part of. And so I'm, I'm kind of curious what else is happening there. And there's another story to be told, I suspect, after he leaves office. No, OK, we'll keep an eye on that. But uh, and of course, you know, we got 20 minutes left in the show. We could not do this show without bringing up the Stormy Daniels case. And Dan Littner, I'm going to go back to you on this one. Uh, the latest allegations came out that uh, the uh, personal attorney for uh, Donald Trump actually used a Trump campaign organization email to close out the negotiations and transfer the money. Uh, that is a brings up a lot of questions, but the biggest question we have right now is, Dan Lipner, from a FEC or from an elections law point of view, are we getting really, really close to the line where we could start seeing this becoming more illegal than just bad judgment? I mean, you can talk to John Edwards about that. Uh, I, I know, I personally know several people that were called to testify uh, during the John Edwards uh, scandal as far as paying off. Uh, his, his his last baby mama that uh, during his campaign and uh, in order to uh, save his central uh, campaign. Um, that was is, a lot of there, fun. That said, it, it, he, he, Hold on. Are there similarities between yeah. what we saw in, in, in that uh, versus what we're seeing now with Stormy Daniels and the president? Uh, not only are there similarities, there seems to be a lot more there there in this case. Since Stormy Daniels is pretty clearly trying to shake down uh, the, the Trump folks for money. Um, so, and the fact that they also were taking these actions pretty clearly to assist in uh, Trump's presidential campaign. Uh, this is not to say it's the first time Trump has, has done anything out of wedlock. And let me be clear, I am not passing judgment there at all since uh Politicians I've supported in the past ha- have their own issues, but that's between Donald Trump and, and his family. As far as the money goes, yeah, that's a thing. Um, anytime you're doing anything to assist the campaign, uh, and in this case, the, the Trump email address, yeah, that was just stupid. It's not, there's not really anything there that makes it worse other than just the optics. Uh, and it's remarkably bad lawyering and incredible and wildly unethical. Uh, I'm kind of curious when the New York bar is going to get involved to, as far as sanctions there, because, and I'll good, I'm not a member of the New York bar. So Sharmila, I will defer to you on that. Uh, but I can't imagine they're not going to care pretty quickly uh, as far as something that's that public, the, the, the lawyers being self-enforcing uh, when you have a, this kind of public violation, you kind of have to act. So uh that's going to go its own way. But better yet, uh, in that same vein, 
you now have a problem because the bar, when they're actually investigating that, you can't really lie to them during the investigation. The rules of evidence aren't the same. So if he says he did this out of his own pocket, okay, he's screwing his own uh, his, his, his own uh, legal profession or himself at, for the practice of law. Or if he goes the other direction and says, yeah, I was doing this to, to help my buddy Do- Donald to make sure uh, this didn't come out for the election, okay. You know, he's just throwing his boss under the bus, who his boss will gladly throw him under the bus. Let the games begin. So, yeah, there's a, there, there's a problem. Charmlet, uh being the only member of the New York bar on the on the show today, uh, <laughs> is, are they getting are they getting really really close to the New York bar stepping in and saying, "Hey, we've got sanctions coming down." I mean, I just have to say, Michael Cohen is the worst lawyer ever. Actually, no, I'll, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll retract that. <laughs> number one worst New York lawyer ever is Sam Nunberg. <laughs> Close number two, Michael Cohen. <laughs> but nobody's but nobody's ever heard of Nunberg. You have? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Of course we have. He's the crazy guy from last week. We, we, old joke, Justin. Old joke. Like, oh, old okay. joke from last week. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. I mean, Michael Cohen has had a pretty fragile grasp of the law from the minute he's burst out of the public scene. I remember uh, back in back during the campaign, 1900 years ago, when uh, <laughs> the reports first came out that uh, Ivana Trump, Donald Trump's first wife, apparently accused him of rape while they were married. Michael Cohen charging out of the box and saying, "Well, that's ridiculous because a married man can't rape his wife," and you know, which is completely not true in New York State. New York State was one of the first states to. Uh, to pass the law saying that, you know, a rape can occur between a husband and wife. And so, you know, just that fact alone led me to realize that Michael Cohen has a flimsy grasp of the law at best. So, yeah, I think you are getting close to the point where the New York bar or, you know, their their ethics uh, sort of arm is going to step in eventually and say, what is this guy doing? I mean, because the, you know, this sort of the amount of, or sort of the lack of separation that is being maintained between sort of the client's accounts and the lawyer's accounts is that line. That's a very distinct ethics line in, in you know, under New York law and under the New York uh, State Bar Code of Ethics. And that line has been blurred significantly, if not completely obliterated. So I think there's more than enough information now already for the ethics committee to step in. If they haven't already, we might not know what's going on behind the scenes. But if, if not, they're, they're going to get there soon. The more Michael Cohen opens his mouth and releases even more additional ridiculous details of this whole arrangement, the more they're going to start getting suspicious and and opening up an investigation. It's like getting getting Al Capone on tax evasion when you have possible money laundering, possible obstruction of justice, possible everything, and it's a porn star that could take – yeah, and it – and it's possible porn star that might take down the president. That's fantastic. Hey, we wouldn't be a political show unless we talk about it. It's Tuesday, which means that there's an election going on somewhere. All eyes right now are on the Pennsylvania 18th Congressional District, where uh, Democrat Connor Lamb is taking on Republican Rick Saccone in what is largely meant to be a very tight, very close bloodbath match to the death today. 
it is a special election that everybody's taking a look at. Uh, Alan Moore, how important is this race, and why should we care about Pennsylvania's 18th congressional district? So it's medium important. Um, it, it's uh, it's a it's a district that is uh, historically Republican and has gone to Republicans in presidential elections by you know seventeen to to twenty points uh, for the last uh, the last several cycles. Um, the 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 previous uh, congressman from the area, I think, last two elections um, didn't even have an opponent. Um, and so it was fully expected to go Republican. But we have things happening in the country that, uh, that have uh, taken um, previously uh, Republican uh, strongholds and, and t- turned them into potential competitive races, at which point people start paying closer attention to who the candidates are. And what you've got is a very weak, inarticulate, Poor campaigning, poor fundraising, Republican, who's sixty-ish, uh, against a, a sort of a dream candidate, young, articulate, smart, um, uh, military veteran, uh, good-looking. Not that, not that, not that that matters. Um, uh, wow! Democrat, talk about objectifying kind of the, Alan Moore. The, I am shocked. The sort of dream the dream candidate so you you have you have all the turmoil around the country and the controversy around uh, uh around the president this enthusiasm among democrats in general that we saw in virginia and elsewhere for um uh, late last year um uh, all of that's going on you've got you've got national attention you've got outside money coming in and as i say a weak republican a strong attractive democrat it's a toss-up. You're not going to have that uh, identical situation <laughs> that often, but you can certainly have it. It would have been what would have been interesting is if we'd had a pretty good Republican and an okay Democrat, and see what see how much that closed. Um, but this thing could go to the Democrats. It's just that I think we shouldn't overreact to what that would mean because. The, the, the specifics of the case um, uh, are so unusual. And if the Republicans pull it out, that'll be significant, too, that like, wow, with all these strikes against it nationally and in terms of the candidates and the Republicans were still able to pull it out. Hey, I guess the president still does have some pull in right. parts of in, in, in parts of the country and history and, and traditional points of view and voting patterns also still matter. Dan Lipner is, yeah, is – oh, no. As, go ahead. Go ahead, Sharmila. Oh, no. I was – not to interrupt Dan. Um, I was going to say that I think that Alan is totally right, and I think that if the Democrats do win, the the bigger importance of this is what kind of candidate the Democrats should be fielding in the 2018 midterms and, you know, potentially in 2020. I think that, you know, Alan is absolutely right that – they sort of the Democrats hit the goldmine here, where you have a below-average Republican candidate and an above-average Democrat who's, you know, a Marine who's handsome, telegenic, young, charismatic. Uh, there's a lot there, and you know, again, sort of, and vocally, kind of not necessarily towing the entire Democratic Party line. Right? He's saying that he's not going to support Nancy Pelosi. He's a big fan of or a big supporter of Second Amendment rights. So I think that this is going to tell us a lot about 
the type of candidate. If, if Conor Lamb is successful, it's going to tell us a lot about the type of candidate that the Democrats are going to be looking to in the next two to six years. Charmla, is this the beginning? I mean, is this really a telltale sign for the Democrats, the beginning of a blue wave? We're not going to know until Wednesday morning. Dan Littner, you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think there's uh, a little bit of a sign of the the, the tides turning, and we've had a a couple of those moments. Uh, I would still argue the Senate seat in Alabama was was a a much bigger uh, signal, but every little bit helps in continuing the flow the flow in that direction. If Democrats pick it up, outstanding. Uh, it, it shouldn't have happened, and and the seat's not going to be around after the uh, redistricting. Uh, but it, it's it's a good thing. Uh, but that said, I, I I never underestimate my party's ability to snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory. So uh, <laughs> we, we, we 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 will see how that plays forward. Well, that's that's a good point. Hey, uh, <clears throat> one of the other things I want to bring up also in the last ten minutes here <clears throat> is uh, Alan with being the. Uh, only Republican that's not the moderator on the show today. Uh, I got to ask you this question. Why is Donald Trump so chicken shit when it comes to the NRA? Well, (laughs) well, he's been all around uh, the NRA here. So the, the final chapter has not been written, but he, he is like other Republicans. Um, uh, and that is that he has got uh, a, a base that's really important to him. He doesn't care about the issues. I think that is clear, and that's clear whether it's guns or immigration or even tariffs. Um, but but uh, he does care about popularity. He does care about uh, electoral success. Um, and and uh, you know there's some number of people that he listens to, um, and it looks like uh, the, the 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 last ones he's been listening to are say, whoa 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 wait you're getting out over ahead of your skis here, Mr. President. You got to scale back on this and scale back on that. And I'm sure he's saying, wait what we can't we can't increase the age for buying guns. What, why is that again? Oh because the, the the people will go nuts. Oh okay well yeah never mind then take that one off. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I can't figure this guy out because he 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 is on this side of the uh, of the line, then he's on that side of the line, then he's back over here, then he's over there. But but the, but the reason with with regard especially to to guns is that that uh, there's a, there's a group of Americans who are single issue voters and they tend to vote Republican and they vote with passion. And they put and, and and they and they contribute dough to uh, uh, to to defeat those who 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 cross them. It is it's a heavy political uh, matter. And then when he's he's also sitting in rooms talking to people, and they're explaining they're explaining to him why this ban or that restriction or that expansion really doesn't do the job, but just. Uh, puts a, an extra burden on um, on regular right. law-abiding people, right. and he he listens to it. He internalizes but I think, it. But I think you nailed it on the head, it. Alan. He finds it appealing. I think you so, nailed it on the head. You know, think, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He, he does. Yeah, he doesn't. No, he he doesn't have any particular principles 
on just about any issue you can name when it comes to the merits of, of, of the issue. His principles all have to do with self-aggrandizement, power, accumulation of wealth, popularity, and so on. And so he's willing to, to move left, move right, move left, make circles, and, uh, and it's why he's so difficult to negotiate with. Because he doesn't, by the way, in, in many cases, doesn't care. By the way, uh, in the administration death pool, who had Secretary of Veterans Affairs, David Shulkin? Did anybody? Made the cut last time. He didn't. Okay. Well, then we're, we're going triple down. Apparently, nobody won the pot this week. New York Times just reported that uh, Donald Trump is considering firing uh, Secretary of Veterans Affairs, David Shulkin, and replacing him with, take a wild guess, everybody. Who do you think? Alan Moore, who do you think he's replacing him with? Oh, God. Um, well, for, for, this is a speculative report, right? This is, this is New York Times is reporting. It is a speculative report, but okay, he, okay, the, okay, the story okay. is so, too good not to bring up. <clears throat> oh, no, that's think fair enough. But, 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 but nobody's out of the pool yet because this hasn't been true. done. And Shulkin that, that, has that, done that, some that dumb. True. He's created some self-inflicted <laughs> wounds here, and, and the VA but, continues to be a mess. But who, who would – who, uh, gosh, um, you know, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm wanting to say people, names that are, that, that, that would never work like a, like a, like a John McCain, who is really ill, right? Just right. somebody out there that you wouldn't, that, that would, that, that you wouldn't expect. You think about it cause um, we only got six minutes left, but you think about it for a second. I'll come back to you. Uh, okay. Sharmila, who do you think? Well, it's going to be somebody utterly unqualified, so I will guess Ivanka Trump. No, wrong. Dan Littner, take a wild guess. Chris Christie or Rudolph Giuliani? Eh, wrong. Uh, New York Times is reporting, is reporting, according to sources, David Shulkin would be out replacing him with Secretary of Energy, former Texas Governor Rick Perry. What? Why? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Why? Go why, to a job why, that you can't really screw up to a job that you're in the line of fire? I'm just telling you what the New York Times is reporting. That's all I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, that, that, that's my, like, yeah. That's my job. That's my job. Sounds like fake news to me. It sounds like <laughs> – I mean, you, you got to admit, Shulkin has been a disaster at VA. I mean, I don't think anybody would argue that. I think that uh, David Shulkin's made the problem worse rather than better. Uh, It's horribly mismanaged. But if the New York Times sources are correct, which I got to tell you something, I I, I do have respect for Rick Perry. I just don't think I'd have respect for his Veterans Affairs Secretary. But yeah, that seems like a demotion. What to go you'd from? Have to find Actually, somebody, you'd have is. to find you'd have to find somebody else to do energy, which is no simple matter. It just it doesn't it doesn't make make sense on a lot of fronts. Shulkin is clearly in trouble, um, and by all rights, well, uh, should the, the be, next but the next uh, secretary of energy, the next secretary of energy. I mean, look, Donald Trump made his event planner the regional administrator for HUD up in Region Two in New York. I'm guessing that Donald Trump is probably going to make 
the head greenskeeper at Mar-a-Lago, the next Secretary of Energy. Could be wrong. I'm not reporting that. That's unofficial. That could be wrong. We're not, we're right. not responding to you. Right after we're being his polite. Boys, uh, <laughs> oh, what come on, that was right a good one. That was funny. Announced the opening of uh, the Trump Hotel Pyongyang. <laughs> yeah, the Trump Tower Pyongyang. That was actually funnier than my Greenskeeper joke. Darn it. Okay. Uh, on me. <laughs> All right. I'm going to leave it alone from there. Uh, on behalf of uh, Dan Lipner, Esquire, Sharm Lechari, uh, Alan Moore, I am your host, moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next Tuesday live for the best political talk show you never heard of. Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. By the way, you can check us out on Twitter at Backroom Politics. You can email your questions and comments to us, justin at backroompolitics.org, and check out our new Facebook page. Kudos to our uh, associate producer up in Washington, D.C., Audrey Howerton. Audrey did a great job of redesigning and simplifying our website. It looks good. Stay tuned with that website. Check out. It's going to have blog posts from the folks around the table and possibly some outsiders. Uh, we're going to have a great way. It's actually a great way to listen to the show every week. If you want to click on the listen now portion of the website, but it is a great, really easy website to use and it looks good on your phone and tablets too. So with that in mind, we will see you next Tuesday, America. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Backroom Politics.